Wonderful. Well, we've been looking at the theme of kings over this last couple of weeks, and uh, I know you're going to enjoy what I share with you this morning. Tonight, I want to share with you a message called The Truth About Tattoos. And uh, <laughs> a lot of people want to have them. A lot of people have got them out of sight. But I want to share with you the truth about tattoos. may surprise you. have got a tremendous testimony from uh, one heavily tattooed member of our congregation. And uh, Tim is going to share his testimony tonight. And uh, it's important for us to understand that we live in a culture that's quite godless. It's searching for God, but doesn't know how to find it. I want to share with you uh, some things tonight that will help you understand or get a perspective on this and uh, to understand just what the truth is and why it is that so many people get tattooed. There's a reason for it. Okay, well, that'll be tonight. So, will you open your Bible with me in uh, John chapter 14, 15? John chapter 15. And we'll read verse 14 and 15. And I want to uh, call this message today Servants or Kings, which are you? A servant or slave, or are you a king? Which are you? Of course, the way you think and the way you approach life will reveal it very clearly. And I want to give you some biblical perspective. Notice here it says in verse 14 and 15. This is Jesus' last uh, session with his disciples. And so the Bible uh, recounts a lot of it. There's about four chapters. Um, um, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, right through to 17 is all Jesus' words to his disciples. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of words written down. And so the things that are shared there are really important. And you notice what he says here, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all the things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus, at this point, is raising the status of his followers. He says, I'm no longer calling you servants. That meant prior to that time, he had addressed them or treated them or called them servants. Servant is someone who listens to commands and does what they're commanded to do. But Jesus wants to elevate their status. He wants to shift them to a different realm of living. It's not a servant or slave. It's the realm of friend, a friend of God. God does not want you to live in the realm of a servant or slave. He wants you to live in the realm of friend. It's very important for your destiny and for your future that you migrate in your thinking from servant to friend. Notice what he says here. Servants know how to obey. So a servant listens. What a servant is trained to do are these things. Number one, to listen for instructions. Number two, follow the instructions. That's what a servant does. Their own desires or dreams are not involved. They wait for instructions and follow instructions. So a person who's a servant really has no dreams or desires of their own. They're not given expression to them. They just live to fulfill the will of another. That's the role of a servant. And Jesus is wanting to lift them up. A friend has a personal relationship. A friend connects and communicates heart to heart. When you go through the Bible and you begin to look at the friends of God, you found there's something quite interesting. Yes, they were God's representatives. You find that they 
fulfill what God wanted them to do, but they engaged with God and often disagreed and debated or tried to persuade him to change his mind. You have a look at Moses and God said to Moses, well, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to kill all these people. And, and Moses stands up and begins to negotiate with God. And God changes the plan. Now, that's a true friend. They're able to come into relationship with, the, with God in such a way that, that God engages them and listens to them. Now, it's not the role of a servant. A servant just does what they're told. Moses clearly had gone beyond the realm of a servant when he's negotiating with God about how he's going to treat Israel for their mistakes. Abraham was a similar. He was called the friend of God. But you notice when God said that he was going to destroy the city, he begins a process of bargaining. And, and he, a real Jew, really, because he beats them down from, you know, well, if I find 50 in there, well, what, what if you only found 10? And then he gets it right down to if I found one. So he doesn't negotiate. He does actually a bargaining with God. Can you believe that? What kind of relationship did he have that he's able to walk and talk with God in that way? This is what Jesus saying. He said, I call you friends. Now, what you have to see is that there was a progression of things happened in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. In John 13, Jesus models what a king behaves like. He said, I'm your Lord or I'm the king. But then what he did was he took off his outer garments and he went down and he served the disciples. So he showed them a king actually can engage at the lowest level of task and serve the kingdom of God. Kings in God's kingdom can serve and minister to the lowest levels of life, the lowest levels of human need. That's what God's kings can do. What a contrast that is to the kings of the world. Uh, in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to understand what he's doing. He's promising. He said, I'm about to leave you. I've modeled for you what a king is like. I've done this for you. Now, you can do this for one another. Then the second thing is he promises a kingly seed. The Bible says that we receive the Holy Spirit. We are born again. There is an impregnation of our life with divine DNA. So when you get born again and the Spirit of God comes into you, the divine nature of God becomes fused with your spirit. We are one spirit with the Lord. So therefore, you are of divine origin. You have divine seed or life inside you, divine DNA. It is natural for you to connect with God. It is natural for you to walk with God. It's natural for you to speak and interact with God. It's natural for you to flow in the things of the Spirit. Why? Because you're fused. You are now royal seed. If you want to know where you come from, well, you have a look at your background. But when you got born again, Jesus broke the, the, the connections to your old background and fused you and put you into a new family. It's a royal family. So, one, he modeled what that kingly family would behave like. It's a family that knows how to serve needs. Two, it's also a family that's got royal DNA. You have royal DNA within you. The third thing is, Jesus then raises them to a kingly stature. He raises them to friends. He'll always have preeminence. That's why he's called the king of kings. Kings talk with one another. You have a look at the leaders of nations. They meet and they build friendships with one another. 
they respect one another. They understand the domain over which each one rules and they, re, they re, relate in certain ways. Jesus said, I'm lifting you up out of the status of being a servant and into the status of being a king. I've shown you what a king acts like. I've demonstrated kingly power. Now I'm going to put kingly seed in you. I'm raising you up to become of a kingly family. I want you to live, act, think, talk, and advance the kingdom of God. Trouble is, we get stuck with a slave mentality. In John 17, Jesus said he would share his kingly glory with us. So, he's very clearly, the whole context of those few chapters is, God is wanting to understand, I am shifting you from where you were, servants of God, slaves to sin. I'm shifting you now to become kings, and I'm going to anoint you and launch you into the world, and you're going to have a global mission to advance the kingdom right through until every person, every part, every generation hears the gospel of the kingdom of God. Because we get caught up in church. Actually, you're called to a kingdom. Church is here to help prepare you to do your kingly duties. Think about that. Okay, then, so let's have a look in John 13. We'll go back into there. And you see Jesus is a servant king. He's not a servant. His, his identity never was servant. His identity always is, he is a king. It says in verse uh, chapter 13, and uh, Jesus, it said, uh, knowing that his hour had come, verse 1, that he would depart from this world to his father, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them to the end. The supper being en ended, and the devil put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him. Now notice this, Jesus knowing what he had, he knowing what the father had given to him, knowing where he'd come from, his origin, he came from God, knowing where he was going, he was going to God. Now, where have you come from? Eh? Oh, I come from Dannyburg. I was born there. No, come on. You haven't renewed your mind yet. You have been born from above. Your citizenship, the place you belong, is in heaven with God. You were born from above. You are a citizen of heaven. Where have you come from? You've come from heaven. Where are you going? Going to heaven. Where are you from? You're from a royal family, and you're going back into that royal family, and you are royal seed on the earth. Do you look like it? No, not at all. But then David didn't look like a king when he was in, running around and everyone's chasing him. Joseph didn't look like a king when he was going through some hard times. Whether you look like a king or feel like a king is not the point. God says, you are that by divine birth. You have royal blood inside you. God's blood, God's DNA. So Jesus was a king. He knew who he was. He knew his identity. He was a king, and he knew it. When you read the Scriptures, you'll find, uh, and it almost was there today in the, in the one Mandarin, in, in Matthew 2, 2, the, the wise men came and they said, who's he who's born king? Uh, you follow through the Scriptures, and uh, Pilate says to him in John 18, are you king? He says, too right, I am. I am king. When he died on the cross, they wrote something up on top of him. It was called Jesus of Nazareth, king, king of the Jews. The Bible uh, shows in the book of Revelation, he's there, he's the king of kings. 
He was always king. He never changed his kingly nature, never changed his kingly seed, never changed his death. When he came into this earth, he was born as a king in the earth. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from, knew where he was going, and knew his realm of domain, his mission and assignment in this world. And he came to elevate and raise others to become kings like him. He would be the first among kings, kings like him that would advance the kingdom of God. Now, the problem is if you have a religious mindset, you'll think like a servant. Jesus came to advance the kingdom of God. He demonstrated kingly behavior and raised their status. Now, the kings of this world act and think differently to the kings in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdoms of this world, you'll notice that position is important. Rank is important. Privileges are important. Titles are important. Power is important. So in the kingdoms of this world, it's very concerned with position, titles, power, privileges that go with kingship, all of those kind of things. The kingdom of heaven is not like that at all. It is not concerned with position. It's not concerned with title. It's not concerned with privileges. It's not concerned with people waiting on them. It's not concerned with any such things. Jesus said in Matthew 20, the kings of this world exercise dominion and lordship and control people and exercise authority and turn them into servants, doing their will, fulfilling their vision. But he said, it shall not be so among you. You shall not think or behave or operate in that paradigm or way. Yet so often we find among Christians, biggest things are their positions, their titles, their, all those kind of things are very important to some people. You know why they're important? They don't know who they are. If you know who you are, you don't worry about all of those things. You don't need a title. I'm a leader. I just got six inches taller. You don't need that. You don't need it. Well, I get to sit in the front. See, see you don't need any of those things if you know who you are. You, it's all take it or leave it. You don't need them to establish your identity because you know who you are. I am born of kingly seed. I'm a king. It's got nothing to do with any role, rank, position, or where I might be right now. It's got to do with what Jesus did inside me. That's who I am. Now, once you know that, then you've got to think like a king. The problem is people don't think like a king. They think like a slave. You are a king. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, we are, or you are, a royal, royal royal, you are royal, you are royal. Tell someone, they say, you're royalty. If you knew you were royalty, you'd never carry on like a slave. That's why I got to tell them again, they forgot it already. You are royalty. Look them in the eye, see? People have trouble. Your royal highness. <laughs> well, that good, isn't it, eh? That's a world title. Notice the word highness in it. <laughs> we're just royalty. And we're part of an eternal kingdom that's going to go on forever. We get to take it all over. 
happens. You've got to be doing something right now, not just waiting for all that to happen. See, so Jesus lived for a cause. He was a king who knew how to wash feet. Oh, now this is blowing our minds away because in this new kingdom that we're a part of, the kings wash people's dirty, dusty, grubby, pooey, covered feet. I'm not sure whether I want to be a king anymore. I kind of had something else in mind being a king. I sort of had in mind being on a throne and people bowing down to me and, and uh, looking after me and I had privileges and perks and blah, 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 blah. The world thinking. He said, it shall not be so among you. That's not his kingdom. That's the world's kingdoms which are ranked in order like that. He says, God's kingdom is a different kingdom where the king of kings can come down, wash feet and die on a cross. That is the nature of that kingdom. Jesus came and served people, but he was never their servant. Neither at any time was he a servant. He actually was in deep covenant relationship with his father. He was a son. He operated out of sonship, out of relationship. We're going to show you just a few ways that kings and servants think, which are quite different. I want you to change how you think. What do you think like a king? You must think like a king. Huh? In Galatians 4 verse 1 it says, now, the heir, that's the kingly seed who's entitled to the inheritance, if he remains a child, he's nothing more than a servant. Oh. Think about that. You might be entitled to a big inheritance, but if you remain a child, usually you can't get hold of it. Someone administers it for you. You're no different than a servant in the house having to learn. That's what he said, while we're a child. While we're a child, we're no better than a servant. So that means you've got to grow up. Okay? And then he says, but we're no longer children. And he says what children look like. Now, I'm going to read, we need to read this because I want to show you something in this. And then we'll just give you some comparisons between a servant and kingly thinking and servant thinking. So let's just go into Galatians for a moment. And then I'll finish up. Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians. There we go. Beep, 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 beep. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, the heir, that's the one who's entitled to the inheritance, as long as he's a child, doesn't differ from a slave, though he's master of all. But he's untutors and guardians till the appointed time. Now notice how he applies it. First of all, he gives you a natural picture. If you remain a child, even though you are entitled to the inheritance, you can't have it, you just know better than a slave, you just do what you're told. Now, notice what it says. I want you to watch this. He says, now, when we were, where, where's it, what tense is this? Past. We were children. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, what he's talking about there, we were in bondage living under rules. How can you tell a person's a child? They live under rules. Do this. Don't do that. Their role, listen and obey. That's your intelligence. It's great for children to learn to listen and obey. In fact, if you don't listen and obey, you're going to grow up to be a, a monstrous teenager. So one of the first primary tasks is the children to learn to listen and obey. Now notice what he says, that when you live under law, 
do's, don'ts. You have to do this. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do this. You must do that. When you live under laws, he's saying when you live under religion, you remain a slave. And you can't access what God has provided for your inheritance, the supernatural, miracles, dreams, visions, abundance, breakthroughs, enlargement, new territory. You can't get it if you live under religion. It's impossible. That's what he's saying. Now, the dilemma is, of course, we think, because we just apply that to everyone else. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Notice, redeem to completely purchase us out from being bonded to law-keeping and bring us into, instead, placement as a son. Son is different to a slave. A slave has got rules, laws, and they're told to do this, told to do that, and they do it, they get punished if they don't. A son has relationship. A son enters into connection with the heart of his father. A son catches his father's business and shares his father's concerns. Son also has dreams of his own. A son also has desires of their own. A son talks with his father about how the dreams and desires can be fulfilled. Think about that. See, now, we need to learn from Israel's history. Because Israel, his, Israel were called to be like that. Israel, my firstborn son. God wanted them to come into the liberty of an inheritance. So he, he got them out of Egypt where they were in bondage. They trusted in the blood. They came out of Egypt. They walked through the wilderness. Now, there are two things they did which are very, very significant. I won't, we won't look them up. I'll give you the reference for them. The first one is in Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, God himself came down in glory on a mount, and he wanted the people to come and connect intimately face to face with him. And in Exodus 20, they said, Moses, this is too scary. You go and represent us. So the first thing they did was they drew back from intimacy with God and replaced it with someone going to God and telling them what God had for them. They replaced it with a person. God wanted them to be a nation of priests. He wanted them to be a royal kingdom where they all had access to Him. And when they would not come near to Him, He had to change the plan. Every person here is called to personal relationship with God. You are not designed to live of sermons week to week. They can be helpful. They can be constructive. They can build. They can motivate. They can reveal truth. But you're not made to live like that. Man shall not live by bread alone. Every word God is speaking to them. God has designed you to live from a flow of revelation. Designed you to live out of a personal walk with Him. No personal walk with him, you have become a slave immediately. Personal walk with God, intimacy, relationship, listening, hearing, communing with him, sharing your heart, your dreams, your desires, beginning to draw instruction and wisdom from him. This is how he wanted Israel to be. But they didn't want that. They wanted someone to hear God and tell them what God was saying. 
Many Christians are addicted to coming up and getting prophetic words. Why? They want someone else to hear God for them and tell them what to do with their life. It becomes another form of divination instead of being responsible to listen to God. One of the foundational things in your life is to know who you are and then to connect with the one who has called you to himself. All ministry, all leadership is to build people to Christ. He is the head. Okay, this is the first thing. Second thing is, you find if you look up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and then again in 1 Samuel chapter 12, you find this is what happened. They looked around and they saw that the other nations around them had a king. And they said, give us a king too. We want to be like everyone else. Give us someone to rule over us. And God was very upset. He said, but I rule over you. This is a kingdom where I'm in charge. You all hear me and I give you direction. I don't want you to have someone over you. They said, give us a king anyway. He said, well, okay, I'll tell you what the king will be like. He will take from you. He'll take taxes. He'll extract from you and then he'll tell you what to do. Oh, we want that. We want that. And God was so displeased. Now get this. Number one, the first thing that happened was six times it says he will take from you. It'll be a one-way street when you put someone to be what God intended, a role God intended you to take. We're not to become dependent on people. We're to recognize the giftings of one another, but no one should ever be a substitute for the kingship of the Lord in our life. No one. No one. No one. Because he said, it'll take something from you. Second thing that happened was they lost their harvest. They lost their harvest. If you let someone take over charge of your life, telling you what to do, you will lose your dreams and your destiny and your harvest. You see, God's plan is not for us all just to be gathered in a church. We're to be gathered and mobilized into the community to fulfill dreams and desires and to activate the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. So if you do not value your relationship with God and let someone do your praying for you, someone else do it for you, and you don't value the dreams and desires in your heart, then what will happen is you'll never fulfill what God called you for. This is where so many people are. So many people are trapped in this place. I find God is bringing a revelation to the church. It's about His kingdom. It's about Him working through you, changing lives around you. Everyone is called to that. Everyone's called. So we've got to break it. Let me just show you a few simple things that are just the difference between a servant and a king. And we'll just finish up with that. Servants must break out of slave mentalities. I want to share a couple of uh, meetings with you or teachings with you to help you understand and recognize victim thinking or slave thinking. Slaves think a certain way. And not only do they think a certain way, they talk a certain way. Here's a typical example. Well, stuff happens. That's a slave mentality. It's not kingdom mentality. It comes out of a heart that's resigned that stuff happens and you can't do anything about it. It's not a kingly statement. It tells something about a heart that's still in bondage. 
want to share some of these things so to help you recognize it. Once you get a few things about how people talk when they're in slave mentality, you're going to pick this up everywhere. You're going to start to hear victim, 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 victim. Everywhere you go, you'll hear victim talk. And the thing is to make sure that you break out of victim talk and begin to start to speak and think and act like a king you are. Amen? Amen. So let's have a look at the difference between kings, a servant, and a king. And I'll just quickly go through these. I could develop them all, but I'll leave it to you to think it through. And the first thing is, the, 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 for the servant, his identity is a servant. That's who I am. I am a servant. I serve. See? But for a king, well, his identity, I'm a king. I am a king. And I make decrees and declarations. I begin to build. I have designs and desires. I have a dream and a vision. Slave? Well, the slave is not thinking like that. That's who he is. So you see, so here's the second thing about a servant. Servant is waiting for instructions. They don't do anything till they hear. They need to hear. So they practice listening and obeying. And they're very good. They listen and obey, and they're very good at that. Jesus said, if you don't learn to listen and obey, you can never graduate to being his friend. Because learning to yield and listen and yield to God, revelation and obedience are qualifiers for friendship. Okay? But that's not where we stop once you have friends. See, see, so a person who thinks like a king takes initiative. Very difficult for many Christians to take initiative because they're afraid of getting it wrong, afraid of making a mistake, afraid of missing the will of God. What if I miss the will of God? That's what they do. And so they live, and they live like a slave. I'm so scared of missing the will of God. Actually, I won't take responsibility for decision-making. I won't take responsibility for my life. I'll wait till God tells me. Now, there is a place and times when we need to listen clearly for directions from God. But if you want to... See, I hear people say, well, God told me to go down and buy this. God told me to go down and buy that. God told me to... You know, you hear, you hear people talk like that. Well, God told me to buy the other. And they kind of go on and on about what God told them. You know, well, here's the... Now, what it, it appears like it's really spiritual, it's incredibly childish. You could just, if anyone talks like that, you say, wait a minute, wait, hang up, back up here, let me, just, let me just run this by... You're telling me that you are so childish and irresponsible that God's got to even remind you to buy toilet paper? What is with you? Grow up! Come on... Think it through. It sounds spiritual, but it's incredibly religious and it's incredibly childish. But it can intimidate and come through spiritual. That's what it's meant to do. But actually, it's childish. God gives you a free will and He gave you a mind. A mind. A mind to think, design, imagine, create, and order your life with. He gave you that. He's not going to do it for you. You have to think. Tell someone else, you have to think. I know it's going to hurt, but think. <laughs> it's true. Some of the people become Christians, they stop thinking. They become enslavement. I've got to just do what I'm told. I'm going to wait for God to tell me what to do. Well, God, you're not talking to me. I'm not hearing anything. No, I'm stuck. Passive and stuck. There. So here's another thing. Uh, so, uh, so for a servant, their relationship is authority-based. So their big words, the big thing, words that are big in their mind are submit, yield, wait, obey. 
Is that? Well, the king has already gone past all of that. They've grown out of the childish stage, and now it's covenant-based, so they're concerned about engaging. What they have is God's, what God has is theirs, and they talk then about the sharing of resources, how they can walk together. It's a different deal. It's a whole different level of relationship. So he said, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'll call you friends. Friends talk and share dreams and desires with one another. Here's another thing. that a servant buries their own dreams and desires so they can serve, meet needs, and please. Servant will bury all their dreams and desires. Now, let me ask you this. Think if you were God for a moment, and you designed a plan for every person before they came into this world. Think about that. The Bible says we're works that he prepared before we were born, huh? in Ephesians 2.10. So now, if you are, now how are we going to get that person you have designed how you get them to connect to the plan you have for them. How are we going to do it? Just think about how God's going to do it. Here's the first thing he does. He puts a desire and a passion in them. It's in their hearts. They have desires. They have dreams. They have passions. When they do what they're called to do, man, they fire up and come energetic. See? The second way is puts his Holy Spirit in to direct you. Primarily if you're going off course. Now, if you only wait and listen for the Holy Spirit, you'll become a slave. You won't actually arise and take responsibility God has put in your heart, dreams, desires, passions, destiny to fulfill. So many believers never connect to their dreams, desires, and passions and never get a fulfilled life. They get a servant life, doing what I'm told waiting for God to tell me what to do next. So there's another difference. You see, so, a, so a, a servant is relatively passive, waiting for instructions, whereas a king takes initiative and plans how he can advance his territory. Servant is so worried about getting it wrong and getting punished, he won't do anything until he gets an instruction, whereas the king says, man, risk and failure are part of the deal. We're going to have a go anyway. Come on, think about it. Think about it. Religion keeps people as slaves. Jesus came to set us free. So uh, here's another thing then. So, so we saw then that they have a, a servant would tend to be passive and powerless and waiting to be told, whereas the king is proactive. He's thinking, man, what's, a, what's some ways, you see? So, so, so the, the servant will be praying for God to tell him what to do. God would say, you're creative, got ideas. Why don't you find out what ideas you've got and what resources you've got and try something? Might be a shock. It might work. If it doesn't work, I'll help you out. And mistakes aren't fatal in the kingdom because there's no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you can step out and have a go if you're a king because a king can step out and have a go. It's the servants can't. They're terrified they'll get it wrong. They live under the bondage of fear. Whereas the king says, well, I'm going to have a go anyway. And if it doesn't work out, what do we learn? Okay, up and out it, we'll go again. Come on then. A servant has a, tense, a sense of entitlement. Well, I've done this for God, so therefore this should happen. I paid my tithe, but nothing happened. I'm not going to tithe anymore. I hate God. I'm resentful for him not coming through like I expected him to. Ooh. You know someone like that, don't you? I know you know someone like that. They end up in resentment and anger because what they feel entitled to, they don't get. Whereas a, a king has a sense of responsibility. 
Unless you have a sense of responsibility. And I've got some things here I can do. So a king would look at the church and say, man, I've got giftings here. What can I do to help build people? Servant says, well, what's the church going to do for me? How's it going to help me get out of my hole? Come on, give us a break. Get out of that thinking. It's a victim thinking. It's a victim thinking. Become part of a royal family with something to contribute, something to give. See, so a, a, a servant values personal security. So think about this. The servant that was given the one talent just buried it all and didn't do anything. The other ones all traded and got commended and got promoted. It's a mentality, it's a way of thinking. See, so a servant values security, but a king values destiny. So a servant will try to do everything to make sure I don't get into trouble and they get to the very end of their life and say, I'm still going to church. Aren't you pleased? Hey? <laughs> eh? But you see, a king doesn't think that way. A king says, I can never sit in a pew and that's it for my life. I have to be advancing the kingdom. What has God put in my way? What could I do? What could I give? How could I advance the kingdom of God? How can I touch someone's life? How can I grow my resources? So kings, of course, see, servants always have a poverty mentality. They've never got enough. But a king's not thinking that. A king's thinking, how can I multiply my resources? I don't want to live off a wage all my life. I really need to get busy here and find some ways, creative ways, I can make money. I've got a kingdom to advance, and it's going to take some money to do it. So I want to grow in wealth so I have abundance to give to others. That's how kings think. Jesus was never a poor man. Okay, now here's, give me the last one here. You're not going to like this one. I know you're not going to like this one. You're definitely not going to like this one. Here it is. King, sorry, a servant, person who thinks like a servant, is waiting for revival. One day. Soon. I heard that 30 years ago. One day, soon. So this is what you should do. You should pray and wait. That's the fruit of it. That is the fruit if you go down that route too far. I believe in revival. I believe God revives people, raises them up, puts his spirit in them, anoints them, puts vision and passions in their heart, and wants them like a king to be busy with what they have. Be busy with what God has given them. Be busy with their entrustment, growing and expanding their giftings, training, taking initiative to do things. Instead of waiting for one day, it'll be better. No, one day you'll be old and die. That's what will happen. And your day will have gone. This is your day. This is your day. No more thinking like a slave. No more thinking like a servant. Transform the thinking to think like a king, to walk like a king in nobility and dignity, to treat people with a heart to see them prosper in advance, to look after the interests of people that God brings into your world, to find ways to serve, create wealth, create resources, multiply, increase. This is how kings think. This is the thinking God is bringing into the nations of the earth right now. This is one of the worst things that happened was about 100 and plus years ago, 150 years ago, come out of teaching on the rapture. 
that you hang on till the end and then whisk up you go and the rest all burn. That is the most horrible, horrible thing I've ever heard. Survive and then escape and those wicked sinners will be all burnt up and that's what they deserved and they're going to get theirs. And so as a result of that, you had a church and it's like a boxing ring with the little fella and the big fella and the big fella's beating the other one and pummeling him around the room. Beats him up and pushes him around the wing, beats him till he's black and blue, but he hangs on and he won't give up. He hangs on and he won't give up and, and he hangs on round after round after round and finally the 10th bell runs and a hook comes down from out of the sky, hooks the little fella out and says he's the winner. Now this is just nonsense. He's not the winner. God's plan is something different. God's plan is an overcoming church. You read the book of Daniel. Read the book of Daniel. Read the book of Revelation. It's not all about evil things. It's about a rock, not formed with human hands, becoming a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's about God's kingdom advancing right through the whole world. It says, all nations shall come to the glory. Nations shall flow into the house of God. Why will they do that? Because it's the primary influence in the world. Don't get some defeatist mentality. Don't get some victim mentality. Don't shut down and become passive. This is a great day, an hour for kings to arise, an hour for you to discover who you are, to discover what God put into your heart to accomplish and begin to do what you need to do to get there. And it's not just about listening for instructions. It's about investing in yourself, about getting someone to help you and coach you. It's about gaining wisdom so you can make decisions. You don't run a business waiting for a miracle every week. What a tragic business that would be, and what a pathetic runner you would be. You, what you do is you run your business on wisdom and under the blessing of God. It goes better that way. So, what a great day. You, how many know someone who thinks like a slave and a servant? How many, how many of you know someone? I know it's not you, but you're thinking of someone right now. But God has called us to rise up and become kingly seed. Come on, let's just stand to our feet right now. Let's give the King of Kings a great clap. Let's give him a great shout. There is a time coming when Jesus will come again, but he's coming for a glorious church. He's coming for a people full of glory. He's coming for a people who are changed. He's coming for a company of kings. He's coming for a company of people transformed into his image and likeness. He's not coming for something weak and defeated. He is moving by his spirit in this hour. Reviving is taking place now. Tomorrow there'll be more. The day after there'll be more. There is a river taking place now. It's time to lock into that river, to grow in that river, and see his glory manifest. Father, we honor you today. We give you the glory. Come on, on the count of three, let's give him a shout. One, two, three. Let's shout to the King of Kings. Shout to the Lord of Lords. Shout to him, the glorious one.